0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: He is just an obsessive goal scorer.
2: Well, they have to understand I trust to, to stay in my country because I'm French and... and the- I've
3: got a problem with soccer, free Oh, what a start! What they can guarantee to you is that they
1: want to keep everything secret. We got a top show today, previewing the weekend's mouth watering ties. We got Manchester United against Chelsea. Obviously a big game for United. Spurs against Newcastle. Villa! Oh yeah, JJ, Villa against Brentford. We'll have a look around at the best of the rest from European fixtures and maybe a little league arm because we have our expert Jonathan Johnson with me today. JJ, how are you doing, buddy? Welcome to House of Champions.
3: Yeah, doing very well. Thanks. Delighted to be making my debut on House of Champions. Finally, obviously, uh, great news with the with the, with the new format rolling out. So uh, looking forward very much to sort of all the episodes uh, to come. Really, is it
1: is it a bit hot over there? You look like you've been roasted by Nigel Rio I just got myself into a tanning bed. So you probably noticed here, you know, the sun's a little <laughs> bit flashy on my face, but it is House of Champions. So everybody out there, previously been watching Keiko So We have rebranded. We have a new name. It is a little bit of a new show because I'm now in the hot seat alongside our good friends. We will have JJ on every day as we possibly can. Obviously, he's a busy man. We recognize that. We'll have James on. We'll have Nigel Riococo We'll have Michael LaHood. We'll have Fabrizio Romano. So it's business as usual. Just a new name. And obviously... A little bit of different energy with me in the hot seat. JJ, let's get into it today. We're previewing the weekend's fixtures. Let's begin with the Premier League. And let's begin with Chelsea against Manchester United. That's the later kickoff on Saturday. Um, Before we even get into the fixtures, I've got to pick your brain because you're one of my favorite journalists. Let's talk Cristiano Ronaldo. And by the way, walking down the tunnel before the end of the game. I was a former player, never ever in a million years would I have ever done that, never in a million years was I ever at the stature of a Cristiano Ronaldo, but I was a professional and it hurts me to see such a big figure at Manchester United, sure, obviously pissed off with the way things are going, but walking down the tunnel is disrespectful to the rest of your team and I think it's disrespectful to the club as well. What were your thoughts on it?
3: Um, you know what? I was obviously disappointed, but I wasn't really that surprised. Um, if I recall correctly, it's not even the first time I think that Ronaldo's has done that since this second spell uh, at United. Uh, you know, everybody knows, and I think they're sick of hearing it, that Cristiano Ronaldo is not happy with the situation at Manchester United. Yet, uh, you know, he hasn't managed to win round Eric Ten Hag, uh, you know, to prove that he is worthy of, uh, you know, an important place in this uh, Manchester United revolution at the moment. It does start to I mean, every time something like this, it it keeps feeling like it's just this slow death, uh, you know, not only of Ronaldo's relationship with Manchester United, but also, you know, the the decline of of, of a once great player. And, you know, nobody can knock Ronaldo for what he's achieved over the course of his career, but that doesn't justify, uh, you know, behaving like a a petulant child. And I think when a player like Ronaldo does this and does this multiple times, because it's not the first occasion, I do think it tarnishes their reputation of it because people will then Does. point to them and say, oh, you know, he's a great champion. But, you know, when you behave like that, are, are they really, can we really hold them up as, you know, sort of the the most shining example, uh, you know, of, uh, of of great winners when, you know, you should be happy that your team is, you know, up, up ahead in the game and likely to see it all three points as opposed to, you know, worrying about your personal situation. I'm going to flip it around a bit. How would you have reacted if... A player who, I mean, okay, in terms of reputation, was probably head and shoulders above all of his teammates or most of his teammates. But if you'd been a teammate of his and that had happened, how would you personally, uh, you know, have reacted? Would you have challenged him about it, or you know, would you have been sort of seething inside? Do you think there would have been other players who might have gone to the manager to say, you know, look, what's going on
1: here? Is this this is crazy behavior? Well, we must not forget the moment that he chose to do that. Manchester United just put out a a top-class performance with a big victory, big three points. And everyone's sort of celebrating it. And I think Ten Hag handled the situation well with the media as well. I'm interested to hear your points on how he's handling the whole situation, but also what he's doing for Manchester United. He's a different type of coach, Ten Hag. He's a bit more relaxed. He seems to be, obviously, one who is handling the media very well. And he doesn't really care what kind of pressure is coming his way. For me personally, as as a professional, obviously it's a different level from where I played. I played lower league, and I played obviously lower in the higher tables as well. So, I have played with some of the best players around the game, and I have obviously played against some of the best players in the game, and I have recognised that you know there is an arrogance to a lot of people who have been successful, and sometimes you just got to let them do what they do. Cristiano Ronaldo walking off and down the tunnel. Doesn't really surprise me, as you've mentioned, it's happened before, but I don't doubt the fact that, you know, he is still. Uh, someone who loves the club, who lives and breathes the club. Great comments coming in from Rafa. We'll get to him in just a minute. He lives and breathes the club, and he's obviously frustrated that he's not playing. He's a player. He wants to play, and he wants to win. He wants to be involved in every game. So I, I recognize that. I think there's an element of composure you have to have, which Ten Hag is showing right now, dealing with that situation, because this is a magnificent stature at your football club through history. So I think he's dealing with it very well. I would probably be a bit different, I was uh, more of someone who has a complete respect for my teammates. And I didn't like at any time, I did not like when anyone disrespected the team, disrespected the badge, disrespected the fans. That was disrespectful. Even though in many ways I love an arrogant player, I would probably be the first one to say quietly to that player, That's unacceptable. You can't do that. You must apologize to the team. And I'm sure he will at some point apologize. Let's hope he does and and things can continue with him at the club. But I certainly think that his future does not look as bright um, at Manchester United. I would imagine that come this winter transfer window, there will be that offer that comes in and he will probably be one that might even be pushed out. But I'm just so impressed with the way that Ten Hag is handling the situation, the way he's handling the media. And yesterday, his response after the the, the victory against Tottenham, I thought was terrific. We're celebrating right now. I'll deal with that tomorrow. What are your thoughts on the way Ten Hag is dealing with Manchester United job, dealing with Cristiano Ronaldo and obviously getting the results now as well?
3: yeah well, I'm glad you glad you opened it up to me, and I, I think feeding off of that point um about the way that Ten Hag is dealing with the media, but also uh, the point that Rafa made about it being easy enough for Ten Hag to drop Ronaldo because of uh, you know his uh, his behaviour and the way that he's handled himself. I think that ten hag is is doing a a good job so far. Sure, results haven't been absolutely perfect, but we had this debate the other day with Nigel Rio and I. Uh, you know, and I, I think that, you know, you can start to see a bit of progress made, uh, you know, in the way that Ten Hag is handling this squad in the way that the squad is responding to him. Sure. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be perfect at times this season, but, uh, you know, I do think that there are starting to be some positive shoots. And I think that, you know, Ten Hag, in the way that he deals with both the press, uh, you know, but also his players, I think that's a huge breath of uh, fresh air. You know, we've seen former players in the past sort of talking about how it sounds like, uh, you know, the actual playing of football had been almost sort of been put on the back burner by Manchester United coaches of the, you know, previous coaches. Yeah. And then, you know, for somebody like Ten Hag to suddenly come in, you know, somebody who's really passionate about the game, knows their stuff, uh, you know, and it has an ability to speak honestly uh, and concisely. Uh, You know, I think that must be really refreshing for some of these United players who've been crying out, you know, for some real, uh, you know, kind of like old school back to basics manager, because now that they're starting to do those basics the right way, they're getting some impressive results, you know, like the win uh, against Liverpool, like, uh, you know, this uh, this victory here against Spurs. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, obviously, United got that victory. They look good against Tottenham Hotspur. Chelsea, on the other hand, they struggled to find that breakthrough against Brentford. It was a good game, though. It was an entertaining game. I thought Chelsea were pushing really hard, especially close to the end. Pulisic came on, had a bit of an impact in the game, but Chelsea just struggled to find that breakthrough. Who really has the upper hand going into this game? Obviously, United, nobody really expected Spurs to play so poorly, but they found a way to get that victory, and it was pretty impressive from Ten Hag's men. But now, this is a big game. You go away to London, you're playing against Chelsea. Chelsea need to start to really put back-to-back victories on the table to to push themselves and cement themselves into a top-four position. Who has the upper hand in this game, do you think, JJ? I think it's, um,
3: you know... I. It, I would consider it to be United at this moment in time. Uh, wow. That said, uh, you know, Chelsea's, Chelsea's start hasn't been that bad. Um, but I do think there was a lot of sense in what Potter was saying, uh, you know, about how he's perhaps not quite figured out the the, the right sort of combination in attack just yet. Uh, I think it is, you know, fairly even pegging. But I think after a result like that, United will feel, uh, you know, very, very confident going into this one. And, and Chelsea... You know, they've been solid but unspectacular so far under Potter. I mean, it's been an encouraging start. Don't get me wrong. It's not uh, mm. it's not a criticism or anything like that. Uh, I just worry in this game that if Chelsea are, you know, look as blunt as they did in attack um, against Brentford, it's going to be harder for them to to find a way through against uh, against United. I mean, obviously, they have that insurance policy of Kepa being in phenomenal form right now. But mm. I think that United will be a tougher test than, uh, than Brentford was
1: with all due respect to them. JJ, did you catch the post game from Brentford Chelsea when Thomas Frank got to ask questions to Graham Potter and, and vice versa? Did you ever, did you catch that Frank asking questions about why why you change it so many times tactically?
3: Yeah, I did. I, you know, I found that really interesting. I also found the way that Potter flipped it around and sort of asked about the difference between championship and Premier League and, and sort of Frank's journey with uh, Brentford uh, to the, to the top flights. Uh, it, it was a very interesting exchange, uh, you know, something I'd quite like to see a bit more of in the future. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think it was also quite telling that, you know, Potter didn't really kind of expect to be challenged on something maybe that was sort of, you know, keep, he likes to keep his cards close to his chest and then being asked, you know, so publicly about that by, by an opposing manager. Quite obviously, that's something that you know, Chelsea's opponents since Potter has taken over, have started to look at, started to latch onto, Uh, you know, and I wonder, uh, you know, sort of how long it will be until Potter really sort of settles upon a combination that he feels uh, confident with uh, moving forward, because this was always part of the task that was awaiting Potter when he took over at Stamford Bridge. There were so many players in that squad, so many potential different combinations that, you know, could all play with equal strength, you know, he had to sort of strike that or has to strike that balance, which he hasn't yet done. And uh, I mean, I I thought it was, I thought it was a very interesting exchange. And, uh, you know, I'd be curious to get your point of view sort of as an ex-pro on sort of how that, those kind of answers and questions tally with what you actually see from a coach sort
1: of in the locker room. Yeah. You know We, we obviously discussed this a little bit in our personal group chat after it actually happened. And, you know, Nigel made a comment um, that, you know, he, he didn't, probably didn't really want to do that. But people love football. And especially when you're looking in the Premier League, you know, there are masters out there who live and breathe football, who can't wait to talk more about football. And I thought Graham Potter and Thomas Frank did that exceptionally well. I love to hear that. I love to hear the mindset because each individual coach is different. They're just different. And different personalities, different characters, different the way they communicate with their team, different respect for one another. I thought it was absolutely fascinating listening to Graham Potter talking about, you know, tactically how he approaches games. Why do you change it so many times? And he actually said at one point, you know, tactically doesn't really matter. We're just trying to figure out the game and tactically will change as the game going on. I could put a, a tactic, but, you know, the players have got to play well at the end of the day and then we'll figure out what the tactics are after the players are playing well. And I thought... Man, that is a lot of trust that you've got in your players right there to actually get the job done and also to say, guys, I'm giving you an opportunity here to show me how you want to play, what fits best for Chelsea Football Club, and then we'll move on from there. I thought it was absolutely fascinating, uh, fascinating. but I I find Thomas Frank really fascinating as well as as a guy who lives and breathes football like you do. I, I love characters like him. I think they're great for the game. And questions like that, what happened yesterday after the game is brilliant for us going forward in the future. Matt Osman got a great comment here. Man United winning this really turns the narrative on its head. Potter hasn't convinced me yet and the results aren't great. Last question on Chelsea against Manchester United. Keep the, the comments coming in, everybody. If you're out there, watching, don't just watch. Make sure you like and subscribe, but also drop a comment and we'll try to get the best ones out there to JJ as possible. Last one for you, JJ, before we move on from this game. What differences are you noticing from the way Potter is handling Chelsea Football Club to the way Tuchel handled Chelsea with players, with the media and the way Chelsea play?
3: And I think that's um, that's a really good uh, question I think that Tuchel is also somebody who is very forensic with the way that he deals with his squads um I think I think what's been really interesting is that Potter has obviously gone for a very pragmatic approach uh, initially I think he started with a draw like a 1-1 draw against Salzburg something like that but then yeah. followed that up with four clean sheet victories two of those being against AC Milan uh you know and the other two coming in the Premier League uh, another clean sheet against Brentford so despite the fact that they didn't get the win Uh, You know, obviously the defense has been, you know, the absolute priority for Potter. And I think that is an interesting approach because if you can get the defense right, then you can build on top of that. And the other thing that I was going to say to build on your point uh, about Potter and the way that he responded to Frank's uh, question was... It is a lot of confidence to have in your players, but also at the same time, is that not how every coach should approach the, the 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 Chelsea job when you're surrounded by that much quality, especially given the spending spree that Chelsea had over the summer? You know, I think that every coach walking into that situation post Tuchel would be well within their right to expect those players to a want to perform, uh, you know, and b be ready to to impress him, given that some of them had sort of fallen a bit out of favor uh, under the Germans. So uh, I I think that Potter has approached it the right way. So so far, but it also tallies with the previous uh, comment in that it perhaps isn't as sexy as it could be but i think that if you approach things results first which is always going to matter at the end of the day especially in a league like the premier league then you're going to be able to build upon that you know really stamp your authority on that squad uh you know in uh, in the time that comes and i my feeling is that potter will want to do some transfer activity in january perhaps make a change or two in attack because i don't think he's quite happy with the hand that he's inherited
1: in an attacking sense let me get a prediction from you, Chelsea against Manchester United, late kickoff on Saturday, JJ.
3: Yeah, this one, this one's going to be interesting. I, I think this will be a draw. I'm going to say score draw. Let's say 1-1.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right. I think it could be a score draw. I could see even a 2-2 in this game. I'm actually slightly leaning towards Chelsea in this game because I think they need to start to pick up victories. And you made a fantastic point not conceding, getting consistency with the defence and then building from there is so important for what Potter is doing at Chelsea. And I can only imagine Chelsea fans are happy with that. They obviously want to start winning games and this is a massive statement victory if they do get it against Manchester United because United under Ten Hag are on the rise. So I'm going to go for a Chelsea victory just narrowly. I'm going to go for a 2-1. Hard for me obviously to bet against Manchester United, but at the same time, uh, being in London, Chelsea... After that nil nil, I just can see them getting a couple in the back of the net and, and winning that game. United will be dangerous if they get the first goal early on. It could be interesting. So, all right, let's turn our attention to Tottenham against Newcastle. Uh, Spurs struggled to get that goal against Manchester United. It was probably one of their poorest performances of the season. Um, I think... The way they attack, obviously, they're dangerous at times. And, and, and for most of the time, the way Conte likes to tactically approach games, it's very interesting. The players clearly love playing for him, or do they love playing for them? That would be the question I'd ask you. I mean, he is a difficult coach to play for. At the end of the day, I'm a former player. I look at coaches in that way. Would I want to play for him? I don't know if I necessarily would. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a dominator as far as the way he coaches, but he has so much passion, and that passion is what players feed off many players not every player but is he getting the best out of this Tottenham Hotspur I mean is is this the game that they need to show in against the Newcastle side that right now are rating pretty high JJ
3: yeah absolutely uh, I think that you know Spurs under Conte so far this season are a, a really curious and interesting case study I've been more impressed with them in the Premier League than I have in the Champions League so far uh, you know but also I, fe- I feel like I'm not really too surprised by the results uh, at Old Trafford the other day because uh, you know, Conte is sort of like a recurring theme of his career is that he likes to have uh, you know these really talented star-studded squads, but doesn't necessarily always tap into you know the the, the absolute limit of their potential. It's almost like you know having a really really expensive car and not quite uh, you know kicking it up into the highest horsepower. That's it's, a great point. <laughs> it it um, but. but it's almost like he's demanding that the car does that, but it's not quite doing it because of the way that he's driving it. And I feel that, At Spurs, yeah. I mean, I I think people, uh, you know, especially when you inherit a squad that, you know, have sort of had a couple of lean years, especially after Pochettino, people are sort of feeling a bit nostalgic. And then Conte comes in like a breath of fresh air, uh, you know, almost like a tornado, really, given the change in style, uh, you know, sort of post-Mourinho and then Conte coming in, uh, you know, and uh, obviously Nuno sort of being a, a little interlude there in between. But I think that Conte is somebody who has a limited period of time with each of his clubs where the players will be really receptive to his methods uh, and then I think they will get fed up with him and if he can't get Spurs to be successful in sort of, you know, a short period of time then some of the players will start turning uh, against him and I feel that at this moment in time they are they are perhaps a little unsexy but generally speaking I and mean, in their home form especially in the Premier League has been very strong so far they will... Yeah. I think do well enough and get the re- enough uh, good results to to stay up in that Champions League spot and I'm looking at that coming into this Newcastle game there's no way that Conte is going to want Spurs to let go of their grip on an early season Champions League spot just in the space of two games with two defeats so it won't be acceptable anything other than three points in this game uh you know and I'm I'm, I'm curious about your point of view sort of if you were a player one of those Spurs yeah. players being managed by Conte being run into the ground every day how long would You give yourself to sort of put up with that before
1: it just got too much? You're asking the wrong person because I used to love that. And, and, you know, I think when you have players, obviously they've got tremendous talent, Tottenham, and they have players who are technically gifted. They have players who just want to play and score goals. They have players who are are workhorses. And, you know, I was unfortunately in the workhorse category. You know, I didn't have as much talent as the rest of the players on my team. So I had to work. And whenever there was a coach who, who just demanded 110% every single time you went out there in practice? Never mind games. in practice, that was the guy I wanted to play for. I ran through brick walls, you know. Especially in Germany, I played for Thomas Doll at Germany. You probably remember Thomas Doll he spent a bit of time at Lazio and in, in uh, Italy, and obviously German national team, and um, spent a, a ton of time, obviously being successful in Germany as well in the Bundesliga. And he was uh, someone who just taught me this mindset of. Your talent will come through if you're fitter than everybody else and you work harder than everybody else. And I did that. And I started to realize, wow, I'm better than I thought it was. I'm actually a better footballer. And then I went to St. Pauli, and, and the same thing happened to my coach there. He he basically drilled us every single day in preseason. It was insane. We did preseason twice because they have a winter break in Germany, and he just ran us ragged but we were fitter, we were harder working. That mentality that Conte you see going through pre-season, the players throwing up and collapsing in practice, he's getting them to the elite fitness level. They basically are science projects now. And now your talent will shine through because you've got higher fitness levels than anybody else. Some players can hack it, some players can't. And it's the players I worry about who have the talent that, you know, the Sons, the Harry Canes, who might get fed off of it quicker than any of the other guys who are in that that squad. I think he's getting the best out of a lot of those players. I'd give him, you know, we've asked this question to our viewers right now, JJ. I'd give him probably an 8 out of 10 for what he has done at Tottenham. And I would be concerned about his future at Tottenham because I can only imagine he's in high demand the other clubs will be sniffing around because you know that he can turn your fortunes around very quickly. And, you know, for the job that he's doing at Tottenham, he's not going to be cheap to be able to keep a hold of. So uh, we asked this question to everybody out there. How would you rate his job and performance at Tottenham already? What would you think?
2: I
3: mean, I don't disagree with sort of uh, 7.58 out of 10 uh, and sort of to your point about him being in high demand, there's always seems to be those rumors about Conte potentially going back to Juventus. I mean, that is the kind of guy that Juve need in order to turn their fortunes around. You know, Allegri has, you know, regressed this team since coming in for his second spell. And I think Conte, you know, I can see why why people would be craving, uh, you know, him going back to to Turin. But like you yep. said, you know, that that price is going to be Pretty exorbitant for, for any Italian club at this moment in time to come and prize them away from Spurs. So I think, in terms of that, Spurs are okay. You know, potentially, I don't know, maybe maybe there's a, a return to the Italian national team mooted at some point when Mancini moves on. I don't know, wow. because they also need a, a, a bit of reinvigorating. But, uh, you know, Conte at this moment in time, 40's done with Spurs. Yep, yeah, very
1: impressive. And I, I definitely wouldn't disagree with sort of that eight out of 10 uh, rating. Rafa saying that he thinks that they'll turn good once Son gets going. Interesting comments right there. Son recently scoring a hat-trick and starting to really getting amongst the goals again. Matt Osman saying if Conte doesn't win any titles at Tottenham, then no one will. I'd give him an eight as well. And uh, nice predictions right there. Uh, Real quickly on Newcastle, only lost one game all season from the 11 that they've played so far. Best defense in the Premier League right now, JJ. Uh, What more do Newcastle need to do to show that they could be a contender for the top four? Do they need to get a victory in this one against Spurs?
3: I don't think a victory here would help, but I think the thing um, that I'm sort of still questioning about Newcastle at this moment in time is where that sort of regular source of goals is coming from. I mean, you've got Almiron at the moment who is in fantastic form these last, I think, four games. I think he's got four goals from, from four matches, yep. so he's top scoring for them. Obviously, they've got a bit of unavailability in the attacking positions as well. Uh, you know, you have talented players uh, you know, when they're fit and available. But you've got the the issue with Isaac which is probably going to keep him out until uh, after the the World Cup break when Newcastle come back to domestic action after that. Uh, you've got, you know, the likes of of Chris Wood, who's, you know, a bit of a kind of journeyman figure. Uh, you know, and then you've got uh, Callum Wilson, who obviously is a quality player on his day, but when he's fit and that's, you know, f- kind of few and far between, especially in terms of sort of a consistent stretch of games. So for me, I feel like Newcastle maybe won Reliable clinical finisher away from being a really, really competitive team. And I think it's credit to Eddie Howe as well for what he's done. I mean, we spoke about this uh, the other day. Uh, You know, what he's managed to do and and how he's managing to get this group of players at this point, uh, you know, in their project uh, to be performing above them and beyond themselves is very, very impressive. Uh, But I, the the player, I can't get enough of watching and I I knew he'd be a hit in the Premier League when he moved from Lyon is Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, You know, I think he's phenomenal in midfield. And for me, I think he, He's he's been one of the I wouldn't say revelations of the season, um, you know, but I think he's definitely been one of the most eye catching
1: performers, certainly whenever I've been tuning into Premier League matches. Yeah, he's certainly one that you want to have in your fantasy team because he does well for your fantasy team. One of the other players I've had in my fantasy team from Newcastle has been Botman. He's been very good. And obviously with them, you know, very difficult to score goals against and starting to really win games. uh, The defence is starting to ring up the fantasy numbers as well. Uh, Real quickly, let me get a prediction from you on that one. That's a difficult one to predict because I think Newcastle will turn up on the day. And Spurs, after that poor performance against United, they probably need a win.
3: Yeah, I think I predicted this one to be 2-1 in my preview piece, so I'm going to (laughs) stick with that 2-1
1: spares, but uh, it really wouldn't surprise me if it's a draw. I'm going to go for a Newcastle win, JJ. Not sure why, not sure how. I'm going for a Newcastle win. I just love watching what Eddie Howe's doing there. I'm really impressed with what Newcastle are doing. Um, So I'm going to go for the upset there. And I think Spurs were very disappointed against United. They need to really turn it on to get the victory against Newcastle. All right, here's the best of the rest. Um, We'll obviously touch upon Aston Villa and Brentford in just a minute. I want to get a prediction from you in there. Manchester City obviously got a big game against Brighton. Forest Liverpool's another interesting one, JJ, to look forward to. Leeds against Fulham. Really looking forward to Southampton against Arsenal. Can the Gunners maintain their 100% sort of effort and commitment to try and getting maximum points to stay top of the table. Big questions right there. But the biggest question I've got before we take a quick break here, JJ, is about Aston Villa against Brentford. Um, I, I, I've got to say that Stephen Gerrard's comments yesterday, I won't hide away. I won't feel sorry for myself. We are better than when I took over. I've just got a feeling that's probably pissed off a lot of Aston Villa fans out there. Uh, <laughs> let me know your thoughts on Gerrard's comments. Uh, should he get time to get it right? Difficult one against Brentford, but also give me a prediction for the result at the end of the day as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, part, partly looking at this match is fairly difficult because obviously we're recording on the Thursday and Villa haven't played Fulham yet. Um, I'm not particularly optimistic uh, about our chances going into this run, but then again, it's the nature of Villa fans to be pessimistic. So I guess I'm trying to look at the glass uh, half full. Uh, I mean, I think given the squad that Villa have, it is four to six points from those games against Fulham and Brentford realistic to target? Yes, I think it is, but also at the same time, I don't think Villa string together two back-to-back wins given our form sort of over the last uh, 12 months or so under Gerard. I don't think that's particularly realistic. So for me I think that if we can come away from this with four points possibly um you know with the the three points coming at home. I mean I don't know if a point is enough from from Fulham to to keep Gerard in his job. It's a very it's a very tricky one to to judge and and you know Gerard is talking the talk but you know, we've heard him do that. He's done a good job of that since he arrived. But you know, it just—he's very rarely walked the walk. Uh, you know, and I was reminded of something the other day, and there was comments from Emi Martinez um, about Beale, uh and his role in the sort of the you know the team Stephen Gerrard approach to to managing Villa. And every time I, I rewatch that it just makes me think more and more that you know Gerard's management of Villa hasn't been the same since Bill left and then you look at what Bill's doing at QPR just recently turned down the Wolves job
1: Amazing you know, it
3: feels it feels to me like Gerard is you know not quite the same when he's not surrounded by you know somebody that he trusts and and can yeah. lean on and that's not the kind of coach that you want to be in this situation where you're demanding the maximum from your players so for me I still think he's on borrowed time and ultimately I think the axe will fall
1: is it a hint of desperation when you come out with comments like that to the media saying, you know, I've done better uh, you know, I've, let, I've actually got the team in a better position than what they were when I took over. For me personally, sometimes it's better to just shut up and try and get the results done. Now, when you come out to the media and you say that, you know, give me more time, I will get this right. I almost feel like it's desperate times for Stephen Jarrett because who knows what can happen now with his career? Obviously, we talked about this previous on previous shows about the fact former Premier League players who are greats in the game, getting their opportunity and big jobs. But then I see this and I think, that's a hint of desperation from me. He is desperate for results and probably doesn't even know if results are going to come. As you mentioned, the next three games, Fulham, obviously a big one coming up today as we record on Thursday. Then you've got Brentford at home and then another away game against Newcastle, which is a massive game before you take on Manchester United at home. I mean, does he even get to the Manchester United game? For me, no.
3: All right. It's it's as simple as that. I really... I mean, I think I completely agree with you. There are there are hints of desperation and in, uh, in what's he, what he's saying. And also, I think you know it, it shouldn't have taken sort of you know the need to come under the under this kind of pressure to be to be talking like this. I mean, he's had now twelve months to to stamp his mark on this team. He's got the players in that he wanted,
1: and those players aren't performing. You know, it's uh, it's as simple as that. Stevie G is a vibes manager, not a tactician. As soon <laughs> as the players stop enjoying him. He's all out of ideas. Matt Osman, great comment coming in from one of our favorites who tunes in pretty much to every show. All right, let's take a quick break. More to come from us as we take a deep dive into the best of the rest of the European action this upcoming weekend, including Roma against Napoli. What a cracker that's going to be. More House of Champions coming up after the short break.
2: Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's tailorbrand dot com slash So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
0: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
1: All right, make sure you watch the Champions League exclusively on P+, which you can try out, no strings attached, with a one-month free trial. If you're watching on YouTube, scan the QR code on screen and use offer code UEFA22 to watch the best club soccer on the planet as well as plenty more premium content for free. Podcast listeners, you can click on the link in the description and use that same offer code UEFA22. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy with the legendary, the one and only Jonathan Johnson over in Paris. Uh, make sure you get your questions into JJ and myself. Um, we are previewing the weekend's entertaining action but also want to hear from you. And if you're watching along and you're new to House of Champions, it's pretty much business as usual. We have rebranded House of Champions from Kegelat. So make sure you continue to follow along the journey. We'll have the usual suspects on the show as usual. However, it is a new name, House of Champions. Make sure you like and subscribe, but also join in the conversation. This show is for you. JJ, let's turn our attention to Serie A. What a cracker this weekend. We've got the later kickoff on the Sunday. It's Roma against Napoli, fourth place against first place in the table. I mean, what a game to look forward to. Napoli still have not lost a game in any competition this season. They have won the last 10 all-competition games. They've scored 20 goals in their last five Across all competitions. I mean, is there any point that you believe that we will see Napoli burn out at some stage? Or is it possible that they're good enough, deep enough, they have enough quality and flexible enough to be able to deal with the the competition on all fronts, domestically and on the European stage and the international level?
3: Well, I think the thing with uh, Napoli potentially burning out is they don't have the risk of repeating last season or certainly not to the same catastrophic extent because it basically knocked them out of title contention last season because you've got that break for the World Cup. So, you know, you will have key players like Kvitscher who, you know, will get to to take a much needed breather. So I think, you know, there is this possibility, you know, for for Napoli to keep pushing on full steam ahead, uh, you know, and also probably keep the squad relatively together. Uh, you know during the during the World Cup break, because obviously Italy won't be there. Uh, you know, Aussie men won't be involved as well. So some of the key names for Napoli, you know, actually won't be going on World Cup duty at all. Great um, and, you know, I think as well, um, when you're feeling this kind of form, uh, you know, building up this momentum, the last thing you want is to to be out of action for, for a sustained period of time. So it's almost like the World Cup break is going to come at the wrong moment. And Napoli, I think, will just keep trying to punch ahead as much as possible uh, and get as many points as possible, many wins on the board, uh, you know, before the game stop and I think you know Roma they're really tricky opponents to come up against when you're on this kind of run because I think if there's sort of a tactician a wily manager out there who would be able to engineer frustrating and perhaps tripping up a team like Napoli in the form they're in then Jose Mourinho is definitely sort of in that elite band of manager now Roma haven't quite being as pragmatic as I expected them to be so far this season but also at the same time despite losing twice I think if they win this one they're within a point uh of Napoli uh yeah. in the table so you know that is potentially you know a very motivating uh you know factor for Roma coming into this one uh you know and yeah it really wouldn't surprise me if this is maybe the end of Napoli's winning run I'm not going to say that they're going to lose but you know this, I could see this one perhaps being a draw because I think that Mourinho and Roma certainly have the makings of a team that that could frustrate this Napoli side. I mean, I don't I don't know if you agree with sort of what I was saying or if you yeah. if you disagree. But it, I don't know. It feels to me like Napoli are going to ma- maintain this kind of momentum up until the World Cup break. The issue will be whether they can get themselves back on the horse early as soon as the World Cup break is
1: over and domestic action returns. Yeah, well, as you know, I've bet against Napoli a few times this season and been slapped in the face by what they have produced. I mean, the goals that they've scored, it's been sensational. I'd probably go as far as saying it's been the most entertaining team to watch in all of Europe's top five leagues right now. And obviously in the Champions League, what they're doing is simply sensational. I mean, the the performances, the results that they're getting, the goals that they're scoring, how solid they are defensively. I mean, I never expected them to be so good defensively, and that's why they're winning a lot of the games. Clearly, they're scoring a ton of goals, as I mentioned before here. What was that I said here? Uh, they scored 20 goals in the last five games across all competitions. I mean, it's these numbers are ridiculous. There's no way you can maintain that throughout the course of the season. No chance. Um, however, they're fun to watch. And, and with this journey not knowing when it's going to end, it's actually quite entertaining. I'm going to throw it out one more time, and I might get slapped in the face again. But I think Roma beat Napoli this weekend. I'm a big fan of what Roma are doing right now. I enjoy watching them play football. Um, They they did lose a game recently at home. I'm not mistaken. I can't mistake who they played. Atalanta it was. They lost at home. And I was really surprised that they lost that game. It was a cracking goal to beat them. But it was only 1-0 victory for Atalanta. I just think that they are um, under Mourinho. There's a bit of character about this Roma team. And if you look at the 11 they consistently put out there, it's a great mix of experience, youth. You've got obviously a very international locker room. Um, I'm impressed with what Mourinho has done there tremendously. They're a good side. Um, but Napoli are a different animal and you just need to hope that you can catch Napoli on a bad day. And with big games coming up for Napoli, obviously competing in both competitions, I think at some point they're going to burn out. They maybe be their attention to Serie A because of how successful they've been in the Champions League. They don't need to win any more games, right? So they're already in cruise control. But I just think this one could be a real difficult test for them. Um, I want to get your opinion on Tammy Abraham before we move on from this game. He's got a couple of Serie A goals this season already. No goals in September, early September, if I'm not mistaken. So what, like four or five games in the league. Um, and he's not scored in last nine for club and country. However, he looks very happy in Rome. And back in my day, you just never saw English players leaving England and going to play in European clubs. But he looks as happy as he has ever been. And the rumor mill continuously goes off. And maybe Serie A fans out there who are watching into House of Champions today can let us know what their thoughts are. Do you think they have a chance of keeping a hold of Tammy Hebron because he's so happy and he's enjoying his football and clearly is, is playing well? And I definitely think the Roma do have a chance of
3: that. I mean, I also think it's not just limited to Abraham. I mean, look at Chris Smalling. Not only is Chris Smalling happy with, uh, you know, with being in Rome, he's arguably in the form of his life, uh, you know, playing some fantastic football. I mean, OK, you know, there are going to be sort of these peaks and troughs, uh, you know, for attacking players. Sometimes the goals come, sometimes they don't. Uh, you know, obviously, Mourinho is being very patient with Abraham. I'd say maybe the goals overall so far haven't come in the way that many of us would have expected. Obviously, uh, you know, Dybala's had his uh, issues since arriving. So they haven't quite been able to tap into that potential uh, just yet. yet. But, you know, I think with, yeah, yet. But I think with, with the faith, uh, you know, from Jose Mourinho and his players, uh, you know, guys like Abraham will eventually come good. And I think those rumors will probably die away a little bit, uh, you know, if and when. Uh, You know, Abraham gets himself back on the score sheet regularly in a bit of form returns because I don't think it, you know, going, you know, a run of games without a goal, you know, should automatically mean the players not happy, uh, you know, and will be on the move. The other thing as well is Mourinho, you know, you look at the way that he set the the team up. uh, Napoli have uh, a similar defensive record to Roma. Yes, they are oh. scoring them at the moment. But Mourinho asks, you know, a lot of his players in terms of, you know, contributing towards sort of the, you know, the defensive aspect of the game, even from the front, uh, you know, and also um, you know, getting involved, you know, making yourself uh, you know, a presence in the match, whether you're scoring or not. And I think that Abraham does still succeed in that. So I, I don't think Mourinho will be too concerned. Uh, you know, and once the the goals come, it's I don't know,
1: it's maybe like that catch-up bottle analogy that's been mentioned a couple of times over the years. (laughs) All right. Let me get your prediction on this one. Difficult one to predict. I've already given you mine. I think Roma get the victory. I think it'll be a high scoring game. I mean, Napoli are favorites, no doubt about it. And I've already said before, you know, Napoli undefeated this season across all competitions clearly should win this game. But Roma are a difficult ask here. Uh, Thoughts on that one?
3: Yeah, I'm gonna stick with the draw. I'm gonna say one-one. I don't think it'll necessarily be an unhappy return to Rome uh, for Spalletti. Let's not forget, you know, he was obviously the the coach who had that unenviable task of uh, you know overseeing the final days of uh, Francesco Totti, the emperor of uh, of Rome at Stadio Olimpico. But uh, I do think that Napoli will hold on to their unbeaten record. So for me,
1: this one will be a draw. All right, let's turn our attention to the rest of the action in Serie A. AC Milan against Monza grabs my attention right there. That one's obviously one to look forward to for probably off-the-field reasons more than anything else. Uh, we have Fiorentina against Inter Milan, another cracker to look forward to. But a real quick comment on Atalanta against Lazio. It's second against fifth in the table. If I'm not mistaken, JJ, prove me wrong, or if I'm right here, uh, Chirio Immobile is now injured and he's probably going to be out for the rest of the year, which is a big disappointment for Lazio.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think as well. Um, you know, when you're looking at the the stats uh, you know, it's really, really interesting. These are two. I think they're the two best defenses in Serie. A. Uh, Atalanta have only conceded six goals, but Lazio have only conceded five so far. But obviously, a big part of uh, you know their goal-scoring prowess, uh, which is much greater than uh, than Atalanta's, uh, is Chiro Immobile So to be without him, you know, it's, and it's not just the goals that he scores as well. You know, he's very talismanic. You know, over the last couple of years, Immobile has really become uh, you know associated with Lazio. So when you think of Lazio, yep. the first guy that you think of is Chiro Immobile. So, you know, I, I'm starting to be a bit more convinced by Sarri's Lazio now than I was at the, at the beginning of the season and at times last season. Uh, and this one is going to be really, really curious to me because it's almost like it's a battle of the two best defenses. Uh, yep. And, you know, whoever comes out on top of that uh, you know, will ultimately win the the battle. So obviously missing somebody like Immobile in a game like this where you really need to sneak that goal against a tough back line. Yeah, that's uh, that's not ideal. So I'd probably fancy Atalanta just in this one.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, where are our European soccer fans out there? Come on, foodie fans, get in the chat here. It's not just the Premier League we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you about Serie A. We want to hear from you about La Liga, league 1, Bundesliga, whatever it may be. Let your questions in the comments, and even if you just want to share a comment, we'll get the best ones out there on screen for you. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy alongside Jonathan Johnson. We're turning our attention to La Liga as we preview the upcoming fixtures. Uh, Big one, obviously, for Sevilla against Real Madrid this weekend. Benzema, fresh off the back of winning that Ballon d'Or, already scored on his return to Spain against Elche. Um, Sevilla undefeated since Paolo took over, um, if I'm not mistaken. His presence is certainly felt on the sidelines, JJ, and there's no doubt about his presence and and what he does. What is it possible for Sevilla going into a match like this against Real Madrid? Clearly, Real Madrid are favourites. Obviously, you'd expect him to get the victory, but undefeated, that's quite an interesting return. I know he's drawn a lot of games, but it's an interesting return when you immediately make that change from Lopetegui and go to that that presence on the sidelines. Uh, What are your thoughts going into this game? And this is a big one for him.
3: Yeah, absolutely, it's a big one, and I, you know, I think if Sevilla do emerge from this one, uh, you know, with that unbeaten run intact, then I think that's very impressive. I mean, you know, when Sam Pauli came in, yes, you know, we we know he's full of bluster and uh, you know he's a, he's a ball of energy on the touchline, but also at the same time, uh, you know, he was having to try to help arrest a really alarming slump in form uh, yeah. in a squad which doesn't really measure up to previous squads uh, in Sevilla's history. Uh, you know, missing a lot of key players who have just moved on. Uh, you know, he's missing now a couple of players who have dropped out. I think I saw that tony Cressy uh, has picked up an injury, so he'll be out for a, for a while, promising young mm-hmm. defender there. Um, so I think, you know, Sampaoli is sort of working, uh, you know, around a, a fairly tricky situation. So to get, uh, you know, them into uh, into a positive dynamic pretty much immediately after arriving, you know, that I think is in line with what he was probably targeting coming in, you know, just give the players back a sense of confidence uh, and then try and rebuild from there in the more winnable matches. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't want to rule Sevilla out. I mean, a Rafa there mentioning, uh, you know, Isco potentially going and getting uh, revenge against Real. You know, you've seen stranger, stranger things happen on the pitch. Uh, But, you know, for me, if I had to pick one, I'd say that I'm more confident in this one being a draw and Sevilla picking up their form uh, elsewhere, but sort of, again, calling on your, your history as a player, you know, when you've been part of a squad that's maybe not been living up to expectations and then that managerial change has happened, perhaps it was one that people felt was going to happen in the summer and then didn't. So you start the season, it's still as underwhelming as it was the campaign before, you know, does it, does it give you that that new lease of life or does it almost make the players feel like, ha, ah, we were right because you know we felt we'd gone as far as we could under the previous manager already? I don't I don't know how that would be sort of experienced in the in the dressing room could give us a bit of
1: insight into what's going on in Seville right now. Yeah, I've had it a few times where obviously a coach has underperformed and players have just sort of taken their eye off the ball and just basically um gone into cruise control and and waiting for that imminent firing I mean that was clearly evident in their performance against Bruce Dortmund when they were hammered at home right we were all expecting Lopetegui to get fired at halftime and he even talks pre-game you know he's, he's gone he's gone so that's the performance you get from players who are already tuned into what could potentially be happening around the corner and focusing on uh, maybe themselves rather than the team and getting a good job or a good result so yeah it's very easy to obviously you know lose your concentration a lot of players get unhappy with the previous coach and and um clearly you have seen that as you mentioned at the top which was a great point it's not the same severe they, they've got rid of so many players i mean great players we're talking about top players you know even this in the recent transfer window losing two or three big players how do you replace that how do you get the chemistry how do you get them back to competing again obviously it's a it's a rebuild at the moment sapauli comes in and um he brings a great deal of character and um, there was a goal this weekend, it was ruled out. It was actually during the week against Valencia. I don't know if you caught the game in any way, but Guttuso was on the other side, right? <laughs> on the sidelines. <laughs> and he's on the sidelines. And P- when he's that- in a pod. It was unbelievable, JJ. And I hope anybody out there caught this. If you didn't, go check it out on YouTube. The goal went in. And he ran into the direction of Gattuso and it was like a big FU to Gattuso. They scored like a 1-1 goal and then it was disallowed, you know, and he's got his technical staff telling him, calm down, it wasn't allowed, you know, and he had to put his head down and go back to his little box. But I just, (laughs) I love that and I used to love that as a player as well. When someone comes in and is trying to rejuvenate a squad, immediately you need to try and get results. Obviously, defensively is the first task. Try to stop goals from going in. Try to start to get draws and points on the board. And then you start to focus on what can we really do offensively going forward. They still have some tremendous talent in that squad. And they will eventually try to get it right and push for a European place, I believe. Um, but this is a big ask for them against Real Madrid this weekend. So I've got Real Madrid winning comfortably. They're just on fire right now. There's a look at the picture. Look at this. I mean, this is just <laughs> brilliant. Two great characters. Gattuso obviously doing a good job at Valencia. He's fun there but it was just so funny watching them celebrate a goal that was disallowed and and you could see the flag going up on the camera he didn't care he just saw a goal going in and just celebrated in the direction of good so it was absolutely (laughs) hilarious but i'm impressed with what he's done so far to get what four draws or three draws and the one victory from the the games that he's been in charge very very impressive but real madrid for me far too strong uh far too dynamic best team in um, in La Liga right now and, and certainly the team that's flying under the radar as far as all the noise and all the talk right now is, is about what's happening at Barcelona so my prediction would be that Real Madrid will win this game comfortably I'm actually going for a 3-1 victory in this game what are you going for JJ?
3: Uh, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Real, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's a really late winner and Sevilla come close to getting that draw. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, just while we'd mentioned Valencia. Yep. In fact, I'm glad to see Edinson Cavani, you know, getting back to scoring form after after quite a while away. Really, really nice uh, to see that he still knows how to find the back of the net. Got a lot of affection for him. So pleased to see that, uh, you know, in the Valencia situation as well. But no, going back to this match, um, you know, I I think that Real will win narrowly, but uh, they will still get the job done.
1: Well, Barcelona have a game uh, today actually as we go on Thursday. They play Villarreal before they then face Atletic Bilbao, Club de Bilbao in uh, the weekend. That's second against six. Obviously the, the table standings could change potentially when we get to that stage. Real Betis against Atletico Madrid. That's fifth against fourth as the standings set right now. Um, uh, another couple of notable games to, to basically get after. Let's turn our attention quickly to Bundesliga and League 1. Um, I'll touch upon the Bundesliga real quickly. JJ if you have any questions about that, please feel free to ask Hoffenheim against Bayern Munich. Uh, Hoffenheim not lost in the last two home games that they played against Bayern Munich and actually won victory in that game as well. Uh, Bayern Munich got a good cup win yesterday against Augsburg, even though they went a goal behind early on in that game. Came back, convincing victory. They are fun to watch right now. Maybe I should have shut my mouth up a long time ago about there being <laughs> trouble at Bayern because they are proving me wrong. They are so fun to, to watch. And then we have uh, Bochum against uh, Union Berlin, who are top of the table right now. And Bochum are bottom of the table right now. So if you have any questions about the Bundesliga, drop it in the comments. But Also, let us know, JJ, yourself, what you got.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've got a question for you because obviously we know, you know, sort of part of the success behind Union Berlin and Freiburg's strong start to the season, you know, having yep. characters like uh, Fischer and Streich in position for for years. But Hoffenheim, what what, what is their, the secret to their success sort of rising up the table? Because we saw them sort of, you know, briefly flash kind of like upper half of the table credentials under Hernis. Didn't quite yep. work out under him. I know they made the managerial change, but what is it? Is it just that it was a squad waiting to tap into its potential you know how have they managed to get themselves into that position because also there are some clubs who are perhaps not performing as well as they perhaps could do you know I'm looking at the Dortmunds the Leipzigs uh you know arguably even like the guys like Wolfsburg obviously we know Leverkusen much further down but yeah Hoffenheim in fourth uh you know that really does intrigue me especially as they're only two points
1: off of Bayern coming into this Yeah, I certainly wouldn't put money on them to stay in fourth place because they're unpredictable, Hoffenheim. And as you've noticed, if you look at the coaching carousel at Hoffenheim, it does happen that they change a bit. Um, However... They're a club in general over the years that have always looked to try and entertain. They've always looked to play offensive football. And, you know, you'll see a lot of high scoring games at Hoffenheim games. Uh, You'll see a 3-2, you'll see a 5-4, you'll see random scores where you just think like, what the hell is going on with this club? They are crazy. They want to play football the right way. What I have noticed under Andre Brighton Writer is that defensively are much more sound than I've seen them for a long, long time very well organized, very committed and they do have some tremendous talent um, obviously going forward. Skov is one who really caught my attention. He play, he scored a couple of goals against Schalke recently. Uh, Danish international, Robert Skov. Uh, just a, a fantastic player, fantastic uh, human being who obviously has turned up and, and gone and enjoyed his football and developed into a very good player there. I know he's in his mid-20s, but at the same time, you people go to the Bundesliga to become a star. You don't go to the Bundesliga already a star. They're a, the league that sells the best players. They, they sell the superstars. So a lot of these players from Scandinavia or around the rest of Europe, they basically go to these clubs to try and become better and there's no doubt in my mind that Skov is one of them, but Hoffenheim under Brighton Writer have been impressive, they've been um, very solid defensively and you're also seeing that they're continuing to score goals, continuing to be dangerous so I would be careful though if you're thinking that they're going to finish in the top four because at any time it could go horribly wrong for Hoffenheim they're just that type of team they do go through fits where they are winning games and then they'll go through the fits where they can't stop conceding goals and losing games um, but I, I think that right now especially with a couple of teams in the Bundesliga not necessarily performing the best that we've used to seeing them like a Leverkusen like a Gladbach like a Borussia Dortmund there's a, there's a position there for them if they could finish in the top four it would be a tremendous achievement for them so, so really, would you, really impressive.
3: Would, you, would you pick Union out of Freiburg, um, Union and Hoffenheim as the team that's probably more likely to have the staying power?
1: I would pick Freiburg. I have um, a good friend of mine who's assistant coach at Freiburg and I love uh, Christian Streich, who's their coach. He's just such a character. You know him well as well. Just a brilliant character. Um, They beat St. Pauli yesterday in the German Cup, which broke my heart. However, Um, I do like their staying power more. They're very consistent. They're very fun. Great new stadium. Um, coaching is is consistent he's been there for a long time strike on Berlin I'm sort of waiting for the collapse but they keep going it's like a Napoli. They keep going. They keep winning games. They're top of the table for a reason. They're scoring a bunch of goals. Well-coached, as you mentioned before. They're an interesting team in Berlin, in the forest in Berlin. It's a great stadium. If you're going to go watch a game in Germany and you're in Berlin, maybe you don't want to go watch a Hertha Berlin. Go watch Union Berlin. They are the people's club. They're a brilliant, brilliant club and um, clearly playing well right now. I would say, obviously, the betters are going to go for Union Berlin because they're top of the table. But they've got a big game coming up against Bochum and it's one that any time they could absolutely uh, lose so yeah so I'm expecting to see Bayern Munich get the victory I'm expecting Union to get the victory as well but anytime it could really turn um, away uh, I'm not switching off from League One because I know producer Davis wants to get out of here but I've got to turn my attention real quickly to League Um because you're here with me Ajaxo against PSG Marseille against Long it's a big one Lille against Monaco I mean three big games coming up in League One maybe just give us a quick rundown of what to look forward to before we get out of here
3: yeah, I mean, I think if I was to pick a game that really catches my eye this weekend, it would be that Marseille against Lens, um, you know, uh, fourth against third, uh, yeah. two teams in really, really good domestic form. Lens starting to lose a couple of key figures, uh, you know, Marseille looking to bounce back after losing to PSG and Le Classique. Uh, you know, I think that one's set up to be a real uh, eye catcher. PSG against Ajax, so no team ever really likes to go to Corsica. It's always a tricky place to go, but I do think PSG, uh, you know, will have enough in the tank to, to Keep going on their on their winning run uh, yeah. and uh, certainly remain unbeaten, even if uh, you know there is some sort of unexpected turbulence there. Uh, you know, but I think as well looking at the likes of Lille and Monaco, just sort of on the outskirts of those European positions, trying to keep up with Rennes, who have really recovered in terms of form in recent weeks. Uh, you know, it is shaping up to be a really really interesting uh, weekend and, and sort of couple of match days now. Uh, you know, you've got Lyon who are really fighting to try and turn things around with Laurent Blanc in charge. Uh, yeah. But for me, I think it's hard to look past uh, Marseille uh, against Lens and if I if I recall correctly I think our own Mike Lahoud is even going to be in attendance at Stade Velodrome this weekend to watch that so I'm keen to know what
1: his experience is like what is it about Lens before we move on quickly and end the show, what is it about I mean, they He's sitting third in the table right now and not many people are talking about them. You're the one who's brought them up on this show more often than not. Why are they being so successful? I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know, how they play, who's in charge of the club and and why they are in the position they're in right now.
3: Well, I mean, to try and uh, keep it brief, uh, you know, Franquez, I kind of liken him to Christophe Galtier when Galtier started out with Saint-Étienne. We know that he moved on afterwards to Lille, Uh, you know, but Franquez is doing a fantastic job with Lens since bringing them back to Ligue 1. Uh, Basically moved up from the reserves to the senior level, has led them to two consecutive 7th place finishes in Ligue 1. Now, they're a team that just, they know who they are, they have an identity, uh, and, you know, they are able to continually punch above their weight because they don't really have any play who you know sort of have ideas above their station. Uh, you know they're a club that really thrives on the energy that's given to them, uh, sort of by a, a really fervent fan base. Uh, and it's a very very difficult place to go. I mean, if you go to Stad Bolart, it's a it's a phenomenal venue, but just the area around the stadium, it, it breathes football. It's a proper football club, arguably sort of the closest that you can get to sort of a, a Premier League experience in France. Uh, and I think it's just, it's such a good marriage at this moment in time between Franck is, uh and some of the, the players in this squad. You know, not necessarily the best players when you look at them individually, but the sum of their parts when you put them together, uh, you know, it, it really turns into something impressive. Now, a lot of people are starting to wonder if they will drop off, as has been the case in the last couple of seasons, especially yeah. in terms of Of a European push, but it doesn't seem to be happening at the moment. They have lost a couple of players to injury recently, unfortunately. Jimmy Kebu, you know, got an ACL injury over the weekend, which is a real shame. He's going to be out for, for quite a long period of time, but they're definitely an interesting team to keep an eye on. And now, just after they've lost their sporting director to Nice, who are trying to sort of, uh, you know, keep up with them and and replicate their success. Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them over the winter period, because I think Lons are one of those teams who are kind of playing for that winter break, because there's a lot of key players that need breathers. They need to bring back some of these key players, because if there's one thing that maybe might let them down this season, it's arguably a lack of uh, squad depth, especially if they go on a deep run in the domestic cup as well.
1: All right, final thoughts before we get out of here. Thanks to everybody for tuning in to House of Champions. We've been previewing the weekend as Ian Joy alongside Jonathan Johnson. I will not be on the show this weekend. I will be with NYCFC as they take on Montreal in the Eastern Conference semifinals of the Major League Soccer playoffs. I'm really looking forward to that game, JJ. Looking forward to seeing what NYCFC can do. Last game against Inter Miami, I was at the game in New York. It was absolutely fantastic to see. Um, MLS playoffs always excite me. I mean, I know you're following from afar, um, but have you got any questions for me about MLS before we get out of here? I mean, it's uh, it, it's always
3: really curious to see how things play uh, play out in the in the playoffs. I mean it's it, it's it always strikes me as uh, you know there, there's a massive difference between actually being the best team throughout the course of the season and then being the best team sort of in the playoffs the fact that you can scrape into the playoffs and then just go on a real tear of form uh you know and, and that will end up having you finish closer to closer to glory than the team that's arguably performed the best uh, all season uh and i mean i think um yeah, I mean, I guess you know, for for you, what are your what are your thoughts in terms of NYCFC's, uh, you know, chances of, uh, of of coming out on top overall in this? I mean, you know, obviously you've got one glittering ring in your collection already. Do you think there's going to be a second? <laughs>
1: there's every chance and and like you say when it comes to the Major League Soccer playoffs the best team in the regular season is not necessarily the best team who's going to go on and win the MLS Championship so keep an eye on it closely I think NYCFC will be there or thereabouts we're maybe just struggling with the with the finishing in, in front of goal as uh, as far as like we lost a killer like Tati Castellanos he went to Girona Um, uh, he scored a ton of goals in the playoffs as we went on to win it last year you need that red hot striker um, to really get yourself all the way to the final but anyway I'll be in attendance for that game looking forward to that one this weekend uh, JJ any games you're going to this weekend uh i won't be
3: uh, i'm actually going to be uh shopping around uh scoping out the the wedding venue the wine... in the
1: south of france <laughs> 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 but i, won't, well, I'll I will be keeping an eye on everything All right, a lot of cool things to look forward to. Special guests, live shows next week from Brooklyn will be in New York. It'll be awesome. It's going to be a wild ride on House of Champions, so make sure you're following along. Subscribe, like, follow, comment, do whatever you possibly can to follow the journey. Make sure you're jumping in the comments as much as we possibly can. Um, It's been awesome having you, JJ. Thank you so much. It's great having a conversation without Nigel interrupting us every two minutes, so (laughs) thank you for that. Um, I appreciate you, man. I'll see you in New York next week, so safe journeys getting over here yeah can't wait for it see you soon alright thanks to everybody out there for watching House of Champions please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favourite podcast platform we're available on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast we're also available as video so subscribe to us on YouTube make sure you visit youtube.com see you next time enjoy all the games this weekend have a fantastic week in GTA, I'll see you in New York